are listening to the Cumberland Road Podcast, and I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. Denise Adams is my guest, candidate for ministry in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Our conversation includes searching and loss and grief, healing and practicing and easing into new things as time and circumstances allow. Denise has a beautiful faith journey, as all are, and I hope you find encouragement in my conversation with Denise Adams. Okay, uh, Denise, hello, and welcome to the Cumberland Road Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here, uh, TJ. It's um, I've listened to so many of them, and I've enjoyed every one of them, and so I'm glad to be a part of this. It's an honor. It's a privilege, and I'm excited to have you on here because you've started a new life journey, and I wanted to pick your brain on it, but I thought maybe we could ease into this. Denise, what are you reading right now? Well, everything I'm reading right now is for school. Um, I started seminary in January. Um, and so I've, I've been out of school since 1989. That was, I, I received my bachelor's degree in, excuse me, in 98. So it's been a I, while since I like, I've been in the classroom. I like that you made yourself 10 years younger. No, 89, <laughs> nope, 98. 98. <laughs> and, and that was as a non-traditional student then. I was older when I was going to college. Uh, as a matter of fact, my son Joshua was on campus. The My my final semester, Joshua was a freshman. So we shared college at the same time. Oh, wow. Now, what is that like? That was very interesting. That, it was wonderful that Every now and then I would be walking down the hall and all of a sudden somebody would come up behind me and hug me and it was my son. So wow. I, I like that. Did you exchange notes? No, we took different courses. Um, not really. We, we didn't take the same path in, in college. So he, he did help me. He was a big help when I started taking college algebra because I had been out of high school for so long. So it was, it was nice having him there. He was, he was helpful in the beginning, in the first couple, few courses. So what is the uh, dynamics like on that? It, is it a little bit harder as a parent to encourage and have account academic accountability for your, your child? Because you're in the school you're attending college at the same time. <laughs> Did you compare grades? <laughs> um, he is probably smarter than I am, but I was a better <laughs> student than he was. Oh, okay. I got better grades. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We were talking about your, uh, your education. Oh, yes. And so, what you're doing now. Yeah. So um, I'm at Memphis Theological Seminary. I accepted the call to ministry. Um, for at least the second time uh, about a year ago and I was accepted in my, as candidate for the ministry at Presbytery this March 
and I actually started seminary before that. So just getting started on it. And so most of my most of the things I've been reading lately have been on pastoral leadership and uh, theology. I'm also this summer I'm doing a lot of reading pre-reading so that when I take three courses this fall, I will have some of my Cumberland Presbyterian history and doctrine already in my brain. So that's what I've been reading lately. All right. Anything stand out to you in particular that you've enjoyed or that you would like to forget? Nothing that I like to forget, because even if I don't agree with it, I like to know it. I like to know that some of those ideas are out there. So some of the things I've really enjoyed, um, again, some of the history, some of the theology that, that I haven't been introduced to in the past. And so that's very, very interesting to me. And I want to learn more and more about that. Mm. So being introduced to new ideas is uh, not necessarily earth shaking, but more welcomed in terms of just kind of opening up your eyes to, to the world and different possibilities and different perspectives. Yes, absolutely. You had said, and I'm interesting to dive deeper on this. You had said a few minutes ago, the second time to answer the call to ministry. So let's talk about maybe what was the first time? What happened? I accepted Christ when I was 12. I was not raised in the church. My, my parents didn't take me to church. But my grandparents, when we would visit my grandparents occasionally, then I would go to church. And I've all, I, I just felt a connection there. And when, when I was 12, I accepted my call to salvation. My grandparents had given me a Bible for Christmas and I started reading it. I was very hungry for the word. I started reading that. So at, at age 12, I accepted Christ and I, I asked my mother to take me to church and she did. When I was about 13, and this comes back to that, when I was about 13, sitting in a classroom, I, knew, I, I, I changed schools about that time. My social studies teacher had asked each one of us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when it came to me, I said, a missionary. And I I just burst into tears. I had never considered the fact that I could be a preacher. I was in a denomination that did not accept women in the ministry. So the so that just never crossed my mind, but I knew women could be missionaries in that church. So I actually think I felt that call. I, I consider that feeling that call when I was probably 13 years old. That I um, put that on hold. And, uh, you know, of course, life takes over. And Michael Qualls was one of the people that, that I started going to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and Michael Qualls was the pastor there. He got me in, in, involved in youth group and uh, as, as an adult t- leading youth group. And he got me involved in church camp. And through church camp, I think I was in my 30s, about mid-30s, when God called me to preach. And 
um, my husband, who's a wonderful man. Um, he loved me terribly and he would have done anything in the world for me, was not very excited about the fact that um, that I was going to go into the ministry. He said, Denise, you may be called to be a preacher, but I don't feel called to be a preacher's husband. So I had to put things on hold for a while and I prayed that God would change Kenny's heart. And I said, God, when you're ready for me and Kenny is ready for me to go into the ministry, um, I'm ready. So they just all, you know, all you have to do is change Kenny's heart. Mm -hmm. Um, that did not happen, but my husband passed away almost two years ago now. And since I'm now single and financially able to, um, and I'm at a place in my life where um, I'm able to go to seminary and focus on that kind of thing. God really started talking to me again about preaching and becoming a minister. And so I was able to go back to my presbytery and say, okay, I'm, I'm <laughs> called to ministry again still. And I'm ready to do something about it. Denise, what is it like, if you could put it into words, to be able to have a call early in life and, and revisit it in adulthood and then to revisit it again? What is that like? Is it, is it a burden? Is it, is it something as easy to take off as, you know, like a jacket? Is it always lingering in the front of your mind, the back of your mind? What was that like for you? It was always there. I've, I've always, I, you know, from the time I was very young, I felt called to do God's work. And part of that was that that hunger was fulfilled in, or was filled in a way that I was working at church camp. I was working through the, my, my local church. I was the youth leader. And so some things took the place of that temporarily. And then I've been a church secretary for uh, 20 years. I, I worked for the Presbyterian Church USA for six years. And I've been working with the Catholic Church for 14 years as a secretary. And then I've been very active in the denomination. I've served on a couple of the boards, the, the ministry teams, and I've been active in Presbytery and things like that. So, so there were things along the way that were taking the place of, I don't know, I guess filling, filling the void that I felt. They were filling the void. Right. But they never quite satisfied the call. Yeah. And so I'm very excited to be able to step into this new role. And, and I think every place that God put me in the past has been in preparation for what's to come. I've learned so much and God has shown me just um, ways to do what I need to do and just 
it's it's been it's all been preparation yeah i would think so you've had a good chunk of years to be able to observe and practice and explore your gifts and your strengths identify your weaknesses mm -hmm. along the way that um maybe someone who was younger and answered the call to the ministry of the word and the sacraments you would just kind of uh it's another path right it's not any better or any worse it's just another path i've had a chance to mature Mm. And and that's not just an age. I've had <laughs> I've had a chance to to mature in my theology and in my social outlook, you know, culturally. So mm. a lot of a lot of this time has just been well, again, preparation for for what's to come. And I think that when I when I actually become ordained and I'm able to fill the pulpit. I think that it will really, really enhance my ministry. Mm -hmm. I think it'll help protect my ministry as well, because I've seen some things happening in my church and other churches uh, and other denominations that help me to be a more mature person. And I think it will help me to be a better pastor. Yeah, you have... Um because of your experience and the preparation, you've always been preparing for answering the call to ministry. You have a perspective that uh, is pretty broad in terms of life experiences, work and service mm -hmm. uh, to or with another denomination, that all these different things that you can bring to the table. Um, and in your son, you have a son who is ordained uh, in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church that also provides uh, a perspective and insight that others may not have. So in a way, you've had all these opportunities of not to answer the call <laughs> to ministry <laughs> <laughs> with I, all the knowledge and experience that you have, and yet here is that internal call living itself outward, which is great. Yes. Um, I, I know where all the, I know where a lot of the pitfalls are, a lot of the stumbling blocks may be and i'm going in it with into this with my eyes wide open and still feel like this is where i'm supposed to be <laughs> and my son is joshua murray for some, some some of our listeners will know joshua murray um he's an he's a graduate of memphis theological seminary as well and again in a roundabout way the two of you can exchange notes in terms of class and yes schoolwork and I just shared with uh, TJ that I've I've helped move some of my son's stuff from Tampa to Pensacola recently some of those things were books and I got to bring some of those books home he's saving me quite a bit of money this semester on Cumberland Presbyterian history and quality <laughs> books <laughs> and and you as you mentioned earlier you're getting the jump by reading ahead Yes, Before I'm trying to read start. some of those this summer. What, what is it like to be a candidate for the ministry in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church? I mean, you, you are fresh on your journey in terms of um, the congregation recognizing your gifts, and now the committee on the ministry 
and Arkansas Presbytery recognizing your gifts, and you're beginning the educational part. So what is what is that experience like? How's that been for you this first um, uh, four or five months into um, the school year and re-entering re into the academic world? The technology part of NTS has been, or you know, just school in general, I think right now, it's a big change, even more so than when I started college the first time. I, I did take three semesters in, in the early 80s. The computer at UAM was a building. It was it took up the entire floor of a building. And I took one computer course and failed that. So but it was a data processing IBM punch card kind of computer at that time. So I'm dating myself terribly at this point. <laughs> Yeah, you should have stopped with uh, <laughs> earlier when you were going in 1998, and then everybody we could just oh, you know, um, just starting out. <laughs> so when I went, when I was doing my undergraduate work in the 90s, I graduated in 98. So I I learned a lot about computers, and so I think okay, yeah, and I work with computers every day at work. I'm a secretary, you know, I type and all this. I get on the internet. I'm doing Facebook, but. The technology from just starting seminary, the different programs that I'm having to learn, so many different passwords, so many different things you have to sign into, that was complicated. And so the first few weeks, the technology part was probably the hardest part. Then I, then I was able to kind of just get into the groove of reading so much and writing so much. So I'm, I think I've kind of hit a good point there where I'm, I've learned the technology that I have to know for this enough that, that the classes are going pretty well. I, I enjoyed it. I made two A's. I only took two classes, but I made two A's. And so that's not too bad for the first time in all that, those years. And I'm taking three courses in the fall, and I'm really looking forward to that. That's, that's great. All right, I have another question for you. And this comes from the Constitution of the uh, Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And it's talking about the office of the of the word and the sacrament. And it has like different um different roles and various duties, uh different titles found in the scriptures pertaining to the office of ministry. And one that we're most common with is, uh, and that we use most often is the first one, which is pastor. So pastor, minister, elder or presbyter, evangelist, prophet, priest, preacher, and teacher. Out of these different duties and titles for the office of ministry, which one do you feel today that resonates with you the most? And you're not held to the answer that you give today, you know, three years from now or two years from now when you finish your education. But just for now, which one of those that you feel like that you connect with the most? Because I would imagine it's quite possible the answer that you give now may be different later. Yes. Um probably very much different. I've, I have learned that 
callings change because mm-hmm. I, I felt very called to youth ministry as I've aged out of that, not knowing the, I, I don't know their music. I don't know. You know the, with, when you're working with the youth, you need to be able to be, uh, to understand the, the movies they watch, the games they play. I've aged out of that. It was time I'm older. I'm older than most of their grandparents. It was time to go. And so my calling definitely changed. And I, I don't doubt that as I grow as a minister or a pastor, that that will also change at different points. But um, hmm. definitely I feel like I'm supposed to be preaching. I think that's mm-hmm. a part of it. And I really feel called right now to rural ministry, possibly as interim pastors, uh, as an interim pastor at different churches. I've always felt like a teacher, that, that it was my responsibility to, to teach the scripture to teach the history, where does this scripture come from? You know, why why is this in the Bible? What's the history that was going on in the world at that time? And so when I preach, most of the time I bring that kind of teaching into it as well. And I've always enjoyed doing Bible studies. So I can see myself doing that. I have been an elder. Um, I, I'm not active at the moment, but I, I have served in different positions throughout, like I said, the denomination, the presbytery, and in my local church. So being an elder was was a calling at one point. And and again, that's it what it didn't it, it wasn't my only calling at that time, but it's certainly a calling. And I don't feel called to that right now. And probably mm-hmm. because I'm moving on, you know, and that doesn't mean it's I'm moving to something better, but it's just something different. I don't mean to say that that being a pastor is in any way superior to, but as the gifts are, my my gifts are changing and my ministry is changing, so my calling is changing. Yeah, well put. The roles and responsibilities within the community of faith are different because mm-hmm. the needs are different, and so so are the gifts that we have individually and corporately, they're, they're different as well. So yeah, the role, just because the roles and the duties are different, doesn't mean that the offices and the gifts that people bring are better than the other. Right. We're stewards of all of our gifts and we need to respect the gifts of everyone else. And I definitely do. I, I definitely respect the fact that, that some people are called to, something different than I'm called to. But I also feel strongly that that right now this is what I'm being called to do. The question that I asked you is is one that I ask myself, usually towards the end of the year, I'll go and I'll look at that part of the Constitution and I'll read the the various duties plus their description. And I'll look to see how that year or that previous year which one of those that I felt that I um, was more emphasized by my actions and activities and service to the church. And the answer at times have changed. Maybe some were more of an emphasis than, than the others. Um, it's just kind of a, for me, I've sort of used it as a self-assessment. I like that. Um, 
Yeah, and and it's not a definitive thing. That's the beauty of it. Is not you're not just it's not a either an evangelist or a prophet. It's yeah. not that you're just a teacher or a pastor. The, all of these are all encompassing in terms of the various duties and responsibilities. But I think it's appropriate for us to kind of take a look at that and go, okay, this past year or maybe the year moving forward, which which of these resonates more as I live out the calling and the mission and the ministry that as I understand it. Right. I like that idea. I just didn't tell you that at the beginning because I wanted you to have a free answer to it. (laughs) (laughs) Denise, you've had some tremendous life changes in, in, in experiences here in the last couple of years. Um, Do you want to talk about some of those, how it's impacted you and, and, where have you seen or experienced the presence of God in some of the things that have been happening in your life recently? So my husband found out and we found out on May 1st, 2020, that Kenny had cancer. He has he had bile duct cancer, which was where the bile duct goes into the liver. When we found out, they told us that he would probably only have a year to live or less. It's, it's a rare cancer. We live in South Arkansas, and they suggested because of the rarity of this cancer that we go to Houston to MD Anderson for treatment. And we did, and he did do some of the treatment in Little Rock, which is about two hours away, and in Houston, which is about nine hours away. So we were going back and forth. And so it was uh, a difficult year as far as that kind of thing, a couple of years. Well, so they gave us, they, they gave him a year. God gave us a bonus year. We were able to, Kenny, Kenny felt good for two years. He, he was somewhat tired because of the chemo, but they couldn't, they couldn't do anything uh, like liver transplant or anything like that. They couldn't remove it because the tumor was about the size of a grapefruit in inside the liver. And it and then he had another tumor that was also in the, a different lobe. So anyway, he was not able to have surgery to remove it. Amazingly, Kenny did not get sick because of the chemo. He he handled it very well. We were able to enjoy those two years of of traveling back and forth. We would go to restaurants and Kenny could eat well. He, he didn't have any problem with that most of the time. Um, we went to zoos and museums and just when we w- would go to, to Houston, we would find something to do. And so we enjoyed those trips as much as possible. He really felt good most of that time so he could enjoy them. It wasn't just me enjoying them. And we took that time to actually enjoy one another's company, too. It forced us to leave town. He he had a business that he did eventually sell, but he was able to, to t- take time off work. And we just did some things that that we enjoyed while while we were going through this process. It that time was very special to us. So we felt very blessed 
to have that time of preparation. Kenny had two good years, two rocky months, and one really bad week before he passed away. He was in the hospital for one that last week. He, he was in the hospital the whole time. Most of that time, he didn't know where he was. Um, he didn't know who he was. He, he was he was just completely out of it because um, ammonia built up and it was building up in his body and therefore in his brain. So even that last week, I don't think he knew very much about what was going on around him. So God protected him and protected me. And throughout that whole process, we saw God in so many places. When we found out that Kenny had cancer, we owned 26 or 28 rent properties and a paint store. I know nothing about the paint store. I knew very little about the rent properties because that was just Kenny's part. I'm a church secretary. And Kenny was taking care of those. And so when Kenny found out, the day he found out, he said, Denise, I know where I'm going. I know I'm going to be okay. I don't want to leave you with a mess. So in those two years that we had to prepare, he was able to sell the paint store and all except one of the rent properties. And I, we thought we had that one sold, but it just fell through. So Kenny didn't leave me with the mess. When he passed away, he knew he had taken care of me financially. He knew he had taken care of me that I didn't have to deal with all of the all of the renters and the problems that come with rent property. And um, so God blessed us with that. Kenny died knowing he had taken care of me. He had a clear conscience. Yeah. And and um, we had had an opportunity to take care of our wills, our powers of attorney, um, our funerals and so every everything just fell into place and God was there in every every step of the way God was with us and we felt God's presence we had a wonderful church family that wrapped their arms around us and and took care of us that that last week when Kenny was in the hospital and again not knowing much of what was going on in the mid midweek, our church family came, and because of COVID, they couldn't come into the hospital. But they came to the window, and they tapped on the window, and they had these signs that said, "Kenny, we love you. Denise, we love you. Um, hope you're feeling better soon." And you know things like that. And so we had this wonderful group of friends that came. That was one of the few times that Kenny actually knew anything in that full week when they came to the window they and tapped on the window i said kenny look and he looked up and he said i love those folks and, and it was so touching that he had that moment of clarity and he had so few moments of clarity that whole week but he knew them and he, and he loved them and he smiled hmm. Again, God just took care of us in every step of the way. And that was a way of taking care of our friends, too, because that's their last time they saw him. That was, you know, that was the last time they were able to seek him. Um, the week, uh, about a month or so before Kenny, before we found out about Kenny's 
cancer. AT&T had sent us a message saying that they were interested in putting a cell tower on my property, on our property. And so we had been thinking about that. Throughout the two years, they contacted us a couple more times and they said, yes, we definitely want to put it on your property. Is that okay? And so we signed the contract and, and they said, the, as soon as we break ground, you'll, we'll start giving you your rent, which is $600 a month. Pretty significant for an empty lot, you know, hmm. an otherwise empty lot. And the day of Kenny's funeral, I was pulling out of my driveway to go to the church for his funeral. And there was a white truck on the property where they were going to put the cell tower. So I stopped and I asked them, I said, are y'all breaking ground today? And he said, yes. So the day of Kenny's funeral, I started getting rent on that property. Just another way that God is taking care of me. And Kenny took care of me, you know, just every step of that way. God was in that process. And I could tell I I could go on for days talking about that. But those are some of the ways that we felt God's presence, that I felt God's presence. And I was not happy about being alone. You know, I, I, I was worried about how am I going to handle living alone as a widow? What am I going to do? God has given me such peace about it. and. It's a piece that is not human. I cannot take credit for it. I don't know why I feel at peace, except that it's God's peace. God has given, has granted that to me. And I've been able to handle this better than I ever expected and better than any of my family or friends expected. And, but it's not me. You know, I, I can't say it's me. It's God. Denise, thank you for sharing. If you had the opportunity to, to speak with another person or couple that has a loved one who has a, a terminal diagnosis, what advice, what wisdom would you share with them? And the other half of this question is, what advice, what wisdom would you share with someone who has just recently lost someone close to them? The first thing is accept the help. People want to help. People offer. I don't know how many times someone slipped $40 or $50 in my hand and said, this is for gas money because they knew we were traveling so much to get the care that Kenny needed. Accept the help. Financial help, spiritual help, friendship. If someone says, I'll take your friend, your loved one to the hospital if you want me to for this treatment. Accept it sometimes. You need a break. And people want to do that. So that was one thing. I was able to turn to my friends and, and they helped me when they could. And I wasn't afraid to say, yes, yeah, let, I'll, I'll let you do this for me. That meant a lot. Also. Don't wait. Don't wait to make your final plans. Don't wait until you've got a terminal diagnosis or that your family member does. Do it now. 
make sure that people in your life know the plans that you want for your funeral, for your end of life, that kind of thing. We we went immediately and took care of the wills and things like that. That that was just a sense of relief. Every step of that was like, okay, that's one less thing to worry about. You know, it's like now I can focus on Kenny. Now we can do this. Now we don't have to deal with that. And planning the funeral was actually a really, I'm trying to think of the word. It was a fulfilling process to be able to sit down. The funeral home gave us a little booklet that said, um, you know, like all the obituary questions that they asked. But then there were questions on, on in that little pamphlet about what was your favorite vacation? What were some of the things you enjoyed doing with your family? What were your hobbies? And so we sat down together and prepared all that. And and just talking about some of those things was very comforting. And and we we did it at a time um, that that it meant a lot to both of us to to look back at our lives and be able to say, wow, God has been great to us, and we have a lot to be thankful for. We've been so blessed and and so do that before it's too late. And and we never know. We don't know if we're going to have time. When my dad passed away, he went to work one day and had a massive heart attack. And there was no preparation for any of us. And he had no plans. And it was so you're dealing with the grief and you're having to deal with details that you shouldn't have to de- deal with at that time. So. Take care of those now so that someone else doesn't have to do it for you. And for those who have recently experienced a loss, um, what words of advice would you give to them from a faith perspective? You know, as a Christian, what, what would you share? Because Christians and Judeo Christian combined, I think, look at death differently and maybe religions as a whole look at death differently than maybe someone who is not connected to the faith so what what would you share with someone in terms of comfort but also maybe understanding well i don't know how anyone goes through something like this without faith i just don't i don't understand how you get through it because we could lean on God, we could pray about it, and we could see those prayers being answered. We would we would pray specifically, and then those prayers would be answered specifically, exactly the way we were asking about. So don't be afraid to pray for specifics, but um, we leaned on God so much, and I, and I'm still leaning on God so much. I also have to say, be a part of a faith community. There's so many people out there that don't have the support of family and they don't have the support of a faith family. And that faith family has just been amazing. So make sure, and this is one of those things too, do that now. You Don't wait, do that now so that you've got those relationships 
so that you're encouraging other people and, and in turn they can encourage you. That's part of it. Ask me again that question because I want to, there's part of it that I don't remember now since I've started talking. Well, I don't know if I remember all of it. Um, what, what advice, what encouragement would you give to someone who has recently experienced a death with a loved one or a friend, a family member, and how does the Christian faith speak to to that time of loss? And and where would you point people for comfort, Denise? That may be like eight questions. So. That, that's good. Well, I, I think I want to go to the grief to, to grief because the grief that I dealt with with my dad, who like I said was a sudden a sudden death was so different than the grief I've been dealing with, with loss of my husband. Mm. And I think a lot of that has to deal, has to do with the fact that with my dad's death, while it was, it was so traumatic um, for us, for my family, we had never gone through the grieving process. He was the first person really close to us as a family that had, had passed away. And I didn't know what to expect out of the grief. You know, the world expects you're off work for a week or two, you go back, everything's supposed to be normal. And so I was able to learn with daddy's grief that three or four or five years down the road, I was still, I thought I was going crazy because I was still so absorbed in the grief. And I had to give myself permission to grieve. I finally decided, oh, I found out that this is normal, that you don't you don't get over a death quickly, that it can take years to process that grief the way you need to deal with it. So with Kenny's death, I went into it knowing that this is going to be a long process. It's something you never get over. You just live with the grief as you go forward. And so being able to take that grief with me and knowing that that's part of what to expect has made it so much easier to go through Kenny's death. So I guess that's probably the advice I would give or, you know, the, that's what I try to tell people is like, um, it's not that you're going to get through it. It's not that you're going to get over it. You just, it, you take it with you as you go. Yeah. I like what you said. And that give it that permission giving of recognizing it and that it's a part of you mm-hmm. and it's okay. That grief is a part of you yeah. instead of trying to bury it or hide it or push mm-hmm. it away. It It's a part of you and it will be, Forever. Perhaps indefinitely. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm I'm okay with the fact that I may be grieving even this hard. I mean, you know, just as hard as it is now. I may be grieving that hard in twenty years because I loved Kenny. I will mm. always miss Kenny. And I want to miss him. You know, it's okay for me to miss him. Yeah. 
it shows how much it shows how much love we had and i don't want i don't want to lose that love i don't want to forget about that love so i'm okay with creeping with that mm-hmm. keeping it with me thank you for being very raw and vulnerable and sharing and your words have been helpful to me and hopefully to others as well. Oh, I hope so. I sometimes ask the guest about um, what are we doing? What are you doing to keep healthy? And that's mentally and spiritually and physically. So coupled with what we've been talking about, but also I think as a, a student as well, regardless if it's graduate school or undergraduate school. Denise, what are you doing to keep healthy mentally, spiritually, and physically in your preparation for ordained ministry? I've been a journaler for a long time. I love to keep a journal. And so my thoughts, my feelings, my prayers, um, the good times, the bad times, I journal a lot. And so that's one of the ways I stay spiritually healthy. And I like going back and reading some of those and seeing, I have them from many years back. And so if I flip through there, I can say, oh, I forgot about that because I have a terrible memory. I forgot about that. And look how (laughs) God took me through that, you know. And and so that's been wonderful to me um, to go back and, and look at the journals. Do you, so you, it's pen to paper? Yes, absolutely. Do you, do you carry it with you or do you, do you pick a certain time of the day when to, to journal? What does that look like? A lot of times I journal at night. Uh, I usually just keep it by my bedside and, and I don't do it every day. I mean, there, there are times in my life when I do it daily, but mm-hmm. especially, especially with seminary, I had little time to do that. So, um, I just do it whenever something strikes me. And mm. so keeping up with that. Is it is it events? Is it just a collection of thoughts? Is it problem solving? Pro- probably problem solving is part of it. But I I write I write about all kinds of things. Okay. My chickens. I have I have right now I have two chickens, two hens. I may journal about them or my cats or, you know, whatever. And, and then sometimes it's about life events and just the things that I've enjoyed or how I've seen God bless, bless my life or someone else's. And so just all kinds of things. I journal about everything. Okay. All right. I also travel. I enjoy traveling and that's part of my journey, I think, is to enjoy God's creation in any way that I can. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm not very physically fit. I, I occasionally walk, you know, I take that in spells too, but I walk in the neighborhood sometimes, but I'm not very physical. Never, I've never been much in the way of exercising, unfortunately. I need to, but don't. Um, well, I like that though. The journaling aspect and the travel, both of those both of those are, are healthy practices, I think, mm-hmm. to avoid avoid any type of burnout. 
Yes, yes, and, and some of the some of the travel that we do that I I do is with friends, church friends. Our church group, we have a group of ten people or so that go out to eat almost every Sunday after worship service. So that's part of that's part of that too. Um, I enjoy going out with them, and then we'll talk about church sometimes. Mostly we talk about life, and that's that helps me tremendously to keep from burning out and, and helps me spiritually, mentally. Denise, what ministry are you a part of now? I know you're, you're just beginning your seminary path, but um, if you were to bump into an old friend or somebody there in town— hadn't seen you in a while, and they said, hey, what are you up to? How would you describe to, to that person what you're up to and what, what ministry you're a part of? When we found out that Kenny had cancer and we were going to be going through all of the treatments and everything, I backed out of a lot of things because we absolutely knew we were not going to have time to do a lot of things around um, around our spiritual lives and our, um, well, besides praying and that, but in the church, the ministries, I gave up doing the bulletins for my church. I gave up being on the session. I gave up for a little while doing the, I, I, we did not do, I didn't do church camp for a little while, but those are some of the things that I'm wanting to incorporate back into my life. And then I decide, you know, okay, it's time to go to seminary. So I have, <laughs> so, so when they asked me if I, I would co- go back on the session, I was like, oh, I don't think I can do that right now. <laughs> so a lot of things are still on hold because of seminary. And I think I've got to wait and see how things go because of that. You know, I right, have to wait right. because of seminary. It's <laughs> challenging time-wise and emotionally. So. <laughs> All right, you wear multiple lenses when looking at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you have been a layperson, you have been an R, an elder, and mm-hmm. now you're a candidate for ministry, and you are a parent of someone who is ordained to the ministry of the Word and the sacraments. So you have wonderful insight <laughs> and perspective. What are some of the great things that we as a church are getting and nailing and just the best at in the universe? And what is the church, what are we missing or where is our room for improvement? I'll start with that, the room for improvement. I think we have to pay our pastors better than most of our churches are doing right now. I think we have to support our ministers, especially single ministers and women ministers, because I think those people kind of say, churches kind of say, um, oh, we have to pay a man, a family man, this much, but we can kind of get by with not paying a woman as much, or we can get by with without paying a, you know, paying a single person less because mm-hmm. they don't need as much, but that's not true. I mean, it takes a lot to live nowadays. And so I think the salaries are one 
issue. I think we don't have enough young people who are coming into the ministry. Our church lacks a youthful presence in the pastorate. Mm. And I don't know what we have to do to do that. I, I don't have an answer for that. But I think somehow we have to focus more on helping young people answer the call as a young person. You know, when, when they're young enough to focus their attention and, and get started in the ministry younger. Um, but but and that but we also need people who are middle aged. Uh, we, we have a lot of elderly people now and in, in the pastorate, but those but they have a place as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But we de- definitely need to work on. I, I think some for some reason we are not getting young people in, to answer their call. Mm-hmm. So we have to find ways to do that. Providing opportunities for young people to to struggle grapple with uh, a calling to ministry as a vocation. Yes. Okay. What's the church doing well? Maybe going back to youth again, there are, I love the fact that we are connected with the Presbyterian church and some other churches that are doing things like Presbyterian youth training. Mm. I love the fact that we are still doing Children's Fest and the Cumberland Presbyterian Youth Conference, you know, CPYC. And I do see some some places where there there are the young young adult retreats and mission trips and things like that. I think we're doing those kind of things well. We're still we are trying to get young people involved. And and I see that. I, I also think that we as a denomination because we're small and we as churches, individual churches, because most of our churches are small, have to step out of just being Cumberland Presbyterian and being in a larger body of the church. So that if there is a if there is an a program that another church in town is doing, we can step in and say, Let's be a part of that. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we can help in this project or in this organization, and we can make a big difference in our community along with what's already been established. Yeah, the togetherness of um, shared communities of faith Mm -hmm. to accomplish one mission or multiple missions or ministries. Yes, yeah, and I, I see that I see that through um, youth evangelism conference. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen that also in areas where maybe a shared um, this is more more um, inward centered, but community vacation Bible schools where you can pull on on exactly. um, the various skills and volunteers and curriculum. Yes. Um, pulling together food pantries and clothing ministries. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing it already, but to do that and more would really open up some doors up for effective change. Yes. We, we as I wrote at, at Rose Hill Cumberland Presbyterian, we've done vacation Bible school with the associate reform Presbyterian 
and the Presbyterian Church USA for years. And that just meant so so each church might have two or three or five youth. But when we brought them together, we had enough to make an impact on those young people because we pooled our resources and we pooled our children. There was enough there were, there were enough children there to play the games and, you know, things like that. And so I think that's one of the things that my local church has done. But I also see that in some of the other churches where, where we're, we're more community focused. We're, we're saying it's OK if you're not Cumberland Presbyterian. We can still work with you. <laughs> okay. The, the ecumenical yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Denise, if you could ask God one thing and you knew that you would get an answer. What would it be? That's a really hard question for me because I do ask God a lot of questions. <laughs> sometimes I get answers. Sometimes I don't. And that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay either way. I, I guess I just cannot think of one question that I, I really can't think of a question. Well, that's all right. My questions are like yours. They vary from day to day. Some of them mm-hmm. are superficial. Yeah. And then some of them are really deep that maybe there is no answer, but yeah, I don't mind. I just like asking that and it's okay not to have an answer. Sometimes the questions to God are very private as well. They're only between God and I. I see in some denominations where people want all of the answers and they think they have, or, you know, they think they have all the answers. And I'm open enough to say, I'm okay without all the answers. I'm okay with with questions that that don't have a finite answer to them. <laughs> right. Well, many years ago, you and I had a conversation and you skilled me on bargain hunting and yard <laughs> sales and auction sales. And I've taken some of those um, tips along with me. Um, I thought we might end on a, on a lighter note for our, our conversation on the Cumberland Road. I just wanted to tell you thank you for sharing your, your bargain secrets. That was a shared interest that you and Kenny held for, for years. And, yes. and, um, I have benefited from, from <laughs> your, you and Kenny and you, you guys uh, shopping together and hunting together. And that is one of the things we did that we enjoyed so much. We enjoyed going to yard sales. He, he was more of a yard seller than I was. He would get up at six o'clock on Saturday mornings or earlier. He would be out there. Sometimes the yard sale that would be too dark to actually see what was on the tables. He would have to keep his truck lights on. And um, so he was really the bargain hunter. I waited until later and I was the one that got things at half price because people just wanted to get rid of it by the time I got up and out. So Kenny got the really good stuff and I got the better bargains probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, which is more important? It's according to what you need. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he would sell things too. A lot of times Kenny would get up on a Saturday morning, then he would go to work. They were, he worked until noon. 
And so he would go to work at, at eight o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever, because he had somebody else working there. So he would do all the yard selling. And before he would get home at noon, he would have a lot of the stuff already sold. People knew he was doing the bargain hunting and they would come by the paint store to get bargains. And it may be guns. It may be um, tools. It could be hunting clothes. And so before he came home at noon and I saw him, most of that stuff would be gone. And I thought that was always very interesting. He, he knew who wanted it. And, he, and if you said, Kenny, I'm looking for so-and-so, can you say, okay, I'll try to find one for you. And he almost always found it for, for whoever was looking. I have a terrible memory. I don't remember who told me what. I'll say, oh, somebody wanted this. And then I can't remember who it was supposed to go to. <laughs> I think those are great places to, to build relationships as well in terms of trust and and being able to share our faith in in natural ways, even if your eyes are down at a table um, and you might not be making direct eye contact. It's one of those places where you get to meet new and definitely interesting people and have those opportunities to share our faith. Yes. And big have, in big and small ways. In in Arkansas they have what's called bargains galore on Highway 64 which is uh, from Thursday until Sunday, Saturday night, there, there would be just hundreds of yard sales on how on, on this highway. And we would take, we, we would take the big weekend trips and go and come home with a van load of stuff or a truckload of stuff. And, and uh, then I got to sell them. Well, Kenny bought all this stuff, but when I sold it at my yard sale or in my booth, then I kept the money. So he was paying for it, but I was making all the profit <laughs> and stashing it away. So that, that was my little, that was my side income. <laughs> Denise, the best wishes and encouragement to you as you continue on your faith journey and as you move towards uh, the ordination to the ministry of word and sacraments. Thank you. I do want to say one of the questions that you had written down to, you know, our suggestions sure. is about who, um, about some of the people in our, in my life that were, Oh um, yeah. Okay. That, that, that had a positive impact on me. Yeah. You and I want to, I want to talk about that because well, number one, my grandparents, again, my parents didn't take me to church as a as a kid but my grandparents when we were there always made sure we were in church and that was occasionally but but it was just such a big impact on my life when I saw my grandfather singing in the choir and my grandmother sitting beside me and our family together to worship and then I became Cumberland Presbyterian in the mid to late 80s and Michael Qualls, which Dr. Michael Qualls was the pastor in at Rose Hill in Monticello at that time. And he's one of those people that saw some of my skills, some of my talents, some of my gifts, and and would say, Well, Denise, would you like to do this? And I'd say, Okay, I think I can do that. Like yeah, and 
well, come on to the youth group and you can bring snacks, you know. And so I was like, well, yeah, I can do that. And then he would gradually say something like, well, do you want to teach one of the classes? And so I'd say, mm, okay, I'll try that. And it worked. And, and then he got me involved in church camp, which just changed my life. And I did not go as a, as a child or as a youth. I started going as an adult working on, on staff. And that absolutely changed my life. And so Michael was just such, he, he was there at the foundation of my spiritual growth. And he introduced me to serving in the church. The church I had been attending as a teenager saw me as a teenager, even in my 20s and early 30s. I think they still saw me as a young person and, and not as someone who was supposed to be working in the church. And so Michael helped me find my place of service. And then when I started going to church camp, Marty Aiden, who is a dear friend of mine now, I met Marty through church camp. She introduced me to the fact that I could be a female preacher, that, that it was okay to be a female and a preacher and in leadership as elders and things like that. And she strengthened my spirituality tremendously. And she's just supported my faith journey for so long. And um, she also hold, has held me accountable to my calling and accountable to myself um, and accountable to God. She doesn't let me get by with feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> and if I'm upset at someone, she turns it around and says, mm, kind of like, what's your part in this? And you're like, how did you? you know? And so holding me accountable has made such a big difference, you know, to help me understand why I'm upset or why this has been an issue in my life. But she also set some of the foundations for the spiritual growth as well. Uh, my the she, she's helped develop my theology over the years. And so those three, the, well, my grandparents and Marty and, and Michael have been so strong in helping me become a good Cumberland Presbyterian, you know, knowing the Cumberland Presbyterian theology and knowing myself and, and where God want, wanted me to be. Well, I have appreciated your example, just knowing you in different uh, settings, in meetings, committees, and things like that, that the way you carry yourself, the way you represent yourself, the way you ask questions in the meeting, and who you represent have always been encouraging to me in the perspective that you've brought in those different places where we have overlapped. And um, I have appreciated that and what you bring to the church. And I'm excited to see your gifts flourish in, in the universal church and in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We are all benefit for the good news coming through you and with you. Thank you. And I've enjoyed our friendship. I, I, I don't even know how long we've been friends. But I've enjoyed our friendship, being able to meet you, and 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 you've you have been supportive of me, and I appreciate that very much. Thank you for giving me of your time for the podcast. I thank you. You could have said no, and I'm glad you didn't. 
<laughs> well, I said no at first because I was so wrapped up in seminary. So. Well, that's true. That's true. Thank but, you for waiting me out. <laughs> <laughs> a no today doesn't mean no tomorrow. That's right. That's right. And now, some closing thoughts. My conversation with Denise Adams reminded me of a book that I read by Kate Braystrup entitled, Here If You Need Me. In the closing chapter, she writes of her life and experience. Death alters the reality of our lives. The death of an intimate changes it completely. No part of my life, from my most ethereal notions of God to the most mundane detail of toothbrushing, was the same after my husband died. Life consisted of one rendering novelty after another, as anyone who has lost a spouse can attest. Still, as time went on, some of those novelties proved to be blessings. And like anyone who has survived the death of an intimate, I had to learn to live with a paradox. If my husband had lived, I would not have gone to seminary, would not have been ordained. There are places that would have gone unvisited and friends I would never have met, friends I now can't imagine doing without. So while on one hand there is my darling, whom I will never cease to love and never cease to long for, and on the other hand there is a wonderful life that I enjoy and I am grateful for, I cannot make those two realities, what I've lost and what I've found, fit together in some tidy pattern of divine causality. I just have to hold them on the one hand and on the other, just like that. Friends, thank you for listening to the Cumberland Road Podcast. <laughs>